grace, mercy, and peace are yours through the triune God. Whether you're listening from far away or next to beautiful Seneca Lake, we hope that through the reading and proclaiming of Scripture, you hear God's wisdom, challenge, and blessing for you today. If you're able to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9.30 a.m., we at Hector Presbyterian Church would love to share Christ's peace with you. Let us listen to the Spirit speaking. For God has more truth and more light to share with us through the living word. Let us pray. Fiercely loving God, as you sent the Son to save the world, now send the Spirit of truth, that as the scriptures are read and proclaimed, we may know your perfect love that drives out fear and claims us as your children. In the name of Jesus, your holy human heart, we pray. Amen. A reading from the letter to Titus. From Paul, a slave of God and apostle of Jesus Christ, I'm sent to bring about the faith of God's chosen people and a knowledge of the truth that agrees with godliness. Their faith and this knowledge are based on the hope of eternal life that God, who doesn't lie, promised before time began. God revealed this message at the appropriate time, and I was trusted with preaching this message by the command of God, our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. We were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, and slaves to our desires and various pleasures, too. We were spending our lives in evil behavior and jealousy. We were disgusting, and we hated other people. But when God, our Savior's kindness and love, appeared, we were saved because of divine mercy, not because of righteous things we had done. God did it through the washing of new birth and the renewing of the Holy Spirit which God poured out upon us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So since we have been made righteous by God's grace, we can inherit the hope for eternal life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A reading from the Psalms, Psalm 51. For the music leader, a Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him, just after he had been with Bathsheba, have mercy on me, God, according to your faithful love. Wipe away my wrongdoings according to your great compassion. Wash me completely clean of my guilt. Purify me from my sin. Because I know my wrongdoings, my sin is always right in front of me. I've sinned against you, you alone. I've committed evil in your sight. That's why you are justified when you render your verdict completely correct when you issue your judgment. 
Yes, I was born in guilt, in sin, from the moment my mother conceived me. And yes, you want truth in the most hidden places. You teach me wisdom in the most secret space. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be brighter than snow. Let me hear joy and celebration again. Let the bones you crushed rejoice once more. Hide your face from my sins. Wipe away all my guilty deeds. Create a clean heart for me, God. Put a new faithful spirit deep inside me. Please don't throw me out of your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Return the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach wrongdoers your ways and sinners will come back to you. Deliver me from violence, God, O God of my salvation, so that my tongue can sing of your righteousness. Living God, open my lips and my mouth will proclaim your praise. You don't want sacrifices. If I gave an entirely burned offering, you wouldn't be pleased. A broken spirit is my sacrifice, God. You won't despise a heart, O oh God, that is broken and crushed. Do, do good things for Zion by your favor. Rebuild Jerusalem's walls. Then you will again want sacrifices of righteousness, entirely burned offerings and complete offerings. Then bulls will again be sacrificed on your altar. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends of Titus, welcome to the island of Crete, a mossy jewel in the Mediterranean Sea. A thousand years before Rome was a twinkle in Italy's eye, the mighty Minoans walked these shores. Legends tell of a winding labyrinth beneath the palace ruins, where a monstrous minotaur, half man, half bull, devoured human <laughs> sacrifices. Faced by the hostile stares of the Cretan church, Titus probably wished he was visiting the Minotaur instead. Paul's letter to Titus almost certainly would have been read aloud from city to city, from church to church, giving the locals plenty of chances to hear what Paul thinks of them. Three times, Paul insinuates that Cretans ought to lay off the booze. And at one point, Paul mentions, you know, they say people from Crete are always liars, wild animals, and lazy gluttons. That's the truth. Now Titus, who was from Greece, might have grown up believing that, but hearing it out loud, well, now he understood the urge to shoot the messenger. And then, 
Titus arrives at the portion of the letter we heard Lois read. To be fair, Paul writes that we were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, and slaves to our desires and various pleasures, too. I, Paul, and you, Titus, and all of these lushes. In the landscape of human sin, apostles and converts stand on the same footing. But that doesn't make these words easy to swallow. In fact, you might want to spit them right out. <laughs> what? Spending our lives in evil behavior in jealousy? You think that we are disgusting? That we hate other people? How dare you insult us like that? I feel for the Christians of Crete. Don't you? Who hasn't been on the receiving end of another person's hurtful judgment? Someone in your family, someone in your community, even a complete stranger projected onto you their own insecurities. And perhaps in that moment, or years later, you said, nope. That is your problem, not mine. Of course, the very fact that others have judged us heightens the likelihood that we have judged others. Yeah. Like Titus and Paul, the Apostle John knew the score. If we claim we don't have any sin, we deceive ourselves, John wrote, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he continues, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from everything we have done wrong. For this kind of honest self-examination, making as Alcoholics Anonymous outlines in the fourth step, a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. The 51st Psalm is an ancient help. Some have called this poem the quintessential psalm. There's confession, assurance, praise, lament, longing, and comfort. The last time that we read this Psalm of David in worship, our souls were as bare as the trees along Seneca Lake, and winter winds whipped up cold and choppy waters. Day was Ash Wednesday, the beginning of Lent, a day associated with lamenting sin. And so with Christians around the world, we joined David as he prayed, wash me completely of my guilt, purify me from my sin, because I know my wrongdoings. My sin is always right in front of me. Because David doesn't specify his wrongdoings, 
those who pray this psalm mentally insert the things that they have done or failed to do that break trust with our God, with our neighbors, and with ourselves. We might, for example, recognize where, like Paul and Titus and the Church of Crete, we have made foolish mistakes or strayed from what we know is good or indulged in pleasure at the expense of another's pain. We are invited to touch the raw places within us where jealousy and even hatred have bruised our souls. We might even weep over the numbness of our hearts, grown indifferent and self-protective, and join David's prayer crying out, create in me a clean heart, O God. Return the joy of your salvation to me. Which is precisely what the living God does. While David is light on supplying the nouns of his offensive, he trusts wholeheartedly in God's verbs. Verbs like wash, purify, create, return, sustain, deliver, open, rebuild, have mercy. And indeed, the God of mercy in action, whose verbs are suffused with loyal love, will never toss us aside, will never take away the companionship of the Holy Spirit. Alive in the Spirit, we come to recognize how God is already washing us, sustaining us, delivering us, rebuilding us. That same Spirit Paul wrote to Titus makes the fountain of washing, the baptismal font, into a womb of new birth. Poured out generously on the world, the Spirit welcomes us to the joy of salvation. Again and again, Paul calls God our Savior, because divine kindness, it isn't a nice sentiment. Like David, Paul knows that the presence of God is mercy in action, whose promises of eternal life do not lie. Now, in David's time, there wasn't a widespread belief of life after death. And even though Paul anticipated a transformed life beyond mortal life, he didn't wait around for it, whittling his thumbs. Both poet, king, and apostle felt their chests humming with eternal life, that is, life that has the quality of eternity, the true and full life that God, the eternal one, shares with restored creation. You can hear that hum of eternal life in the passionate witness of Alfred Delph, 
a German Jesuit priest who helped to organize resistance against the Nazis. Delp was arrested for treason, and at the age of 37, in February of 1945, was executed. But a few months, a few months before his murder, he wrote these words in a prison cell. The inner law of freedom sings that no death can kill us. Life is eternal. In Alfred Delp, the liberating and living spirit raised her song. No death can kill us. No truth is too brutal that we cannot speak it aloud or to ourselves. Alive in the spirit of the Savior, we join Delp and a great cloud of witnesses in pursuing a world that looks like God's mercy. So alive in that spirit, let's revisit that psalm numbered 51st in our Bibles, a poem that neglects to specify the sin its author laments. If one didn't read the introduction, one would miss the reason entirely. A psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him just after he had been with Bathsheba. Let us speak plainly of what the scrolls of Samuel say clearly, because our daughters and our sons and our neighbors deserve better than euphemism. David, the king of Israel, saw a woman bathing. Her name was Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David wanted her, and powerful men too often get what they want. Messengers took Bathsheba from her home. While her husband was away at war, and the king had sex with her, that is, David raped her. When Bathsheba found out she was pregnant, David tried to cover his tracks. When that did not work, he had Uriah killed. Not so long ago, Christians averted their gaze from this story or dismissed this tale as a one-off mistake in the saga of David, a king after God's own heart. You might even remember hearing preachers and Sunday school teachers vilify Bathsheba, a so-called temptress who got what she wanted or worse, what she deserved. But that's not how my father framed the story. The spirit gave him a truer account. 
30 years ago, my father and his friend Janice sat together processing a troubling statistic that one in four women would be sexually assaulted, usually by a man they already knew. Dad expressed his confusion. I can't believe these numbers. I don't know any woman who's been assaulted. Looking him straight in the eye, Janice said, yes, you do, Paul. And she proceeded to narrate the worst day of her life when a date devolved into violence when a man she trusted raped her. Janice spoke. My father listened. Within each of them, the spirit was breathing, the peace of the eternal life. And between them, the spirit sang softly that no death can kill us. My father raised his three sons with Janice's story and preached it from our tiny rural church's pulpit. A few decades after Janice and my father's conversation, the statistic has sharpened. One in three women will experience sexual assaults. Most women can respond to stories about sexual harassment saying, me too. And just last week, May 5th, the United States formally recognized the epidemic of missing and murdered indigenous women and girls. Reading stories of indigenous folks wearing red and demanding no more stolen sisters, I remembered David's words, deliver me from violence. And Paul's words, we were disgusting and we hated other people. What kind of new life is even possible when hatred of women and fear of other races thread through centuries of governing and preaching and child rearing. What kind of new life? Only the life of the Spirit who births us anew into honesty and truth-telling into humility and listening, into compassion and even joy. Such is the life marked by eternity that rests not on social convention, not even on our own deeds of righteousness, but on God's sure salvation. It is the life of confession the life of mercy in action, the life of grace that our daughters, and our sons, our mothers, and our fathers 
our neighbors of every gender and race deserve. God gives this grace. So let us return all glory, all gratitude to God our Savior, love that gave us birth, the love that goes on ahead, love encircling us every step of the journey.